Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Gamble. And it's currently just after 6 p.m. here, so that's officially 1 o'clock. There you go. I'm, I'm still drinking tea, but it's only 3 here. But that's pandemic time. It is pandemic time. Yeah. I won't have an excuse pretty soon. <laughs> pretty soon. It'll just be because I like wine. Do need an excuse? I don't think we needed an excuse. <laughs> you know, I used, it used to be scotch time, but that got really expensive. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, uh, well. Uh, Scott Hunter is here. We're talking about Build 2021 and all sorts of good stuff coming down the pike. But uh, before that, let's get started with a little thing we call Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, man. What do you got? You know, (laughs) (laughs) I've been watching uh, Top Chef reruns, right? And uh, Tom Colicchio, when he's at the judges table, he always seems like he needs to do this little philosophizing, you know, chefs, life is funny. So, that's become like the thing that we pick on for. You know, chefs. Uh, Anyway, so, you know, um, sometimes you have an application where you're on the back end doing way more reads than you are writes. And I'm talking about frequency. You might be updating your data once a week, once a day, and usually it's one person, maybe two persons. There are a lot of things like that. And, you know, one application comes to mind, Richard. You know what it is? Which one? Podcasts. No. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because, okay, we have podcasts, right? We have podcast data. We go into our little admin and we add things to it. And that goes off to a SQL server. And then there's a lot of reads off of that SQL server. Yeah, many reads. Very inefficient, especially if you don't do caching. If you do caching, okay. Well, and it's also not changing, right? If you're reading the same thing over and over again. That's right. You only put out yeah. a show a week. Right. So, basically, what I've come up with is a, a Blazor Train episode that is coming out. Well, it's already come out now. But I'll give you the link if you go to 1741.pwop.me. That'll take you to a YouTube episode of Blazor Train uh, in which I talk about a, a back-end manager for mm-hmm. API that writes and reads to and from um, uh Blob storage, Azure nice. Blob storage. Right. And so, the key is that we we only write once in a while, but there is a possibility that you and I might actually be writing the same file at the same time, however remote. So, what I use is a Semaphore Slim. All right. So, this is a .NET uh, thing. And, right. you know, this could now officially be called a better known framework because- Actually uh, references semif- the framework. Yeah. A Semaphore Slim is a- asynchronous way that you can allow in a singleton object only one uh, client to call that at a time. And nice. so, you do like await semaphore slim dot wait async and then you have your block of code and you release it by doing semaphore slim dot release. So, it's a really easy way to wrap all the save code that we do in uh you know in a in a a protective barrier so that only nice. one user can access it at a time so with that and the fact that you know uh blob storage is so damn cheap yeah and i can essentially put a a 1 hour or even a 5 minute or a 
you know, five hour, 10 hour, whatever it is, sort of wait time in there. Mm -hmm. And so, anytime somebody goes to do a read, I'll check the last access time. And if it's time, you know, to load up, then I go read it. So, just with a combination of that sort of caching and the fact that you're using blob storage, it's perfect for podcasts. So, yeah, yeah. this... Yeah, so this episode sort of talks through the mechanism from the, everything from the back end, the API, the manager, the controllers, and then on the client, uh, an API, and it's all based on the repository pattern. An API repository all uses generics, so you can create your own managers for different things, and, uh, and it's pretty good. This is going to become an open source project. Nice. And including the podcast administrator. It's all okay. going open source, and it's all Blazor. All Blazor all the time. That's what I say. Nice. So, I think it's good. Uh, it's not the ideal architecture for everything, obviously. Yeah. Depends on the volatility of the data. Like yeah. How often and, does it change? And how often does it change? How often does – but you you tried the, the prototype, and you, what did you say? It was stinky fast. Stinky fast, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think I may have used a somewhat more firm word than that. Right. But yeah. Stinky right. back. And uh, that means there's going to be a new .NET Rocks, uh, .com website that is all going to use these uh, static files. And yeah, we're looking forward to it. So, it's a new feature and good. I plan to share it all on GitHub. Nice. So, yep. That's it. That's what I got. Who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1719 from December of 2020 where we talked to one Scott Hunter about .NET 5, you know, back when that was a thing. I was thinking we'd talk about .NET 2, but no, we're going to talk about .NET 6. But once we <laughs> talked about .NET 5, we've, we've been talking too much. Anyway, uh, and Steve-O has this comment. It's only a few months old because uh, it's only from December. He says, great show as always. Thanks, Carl and Richard. I have a question for Scott. I'm trying to convince my boss to use Blazor instead of React for our next project. Why would you Blazor's do that? The, I don't know. What the, I don't know what he's thinking. <laughs> I think Blazor is a perfect candidate for this project, which is a rich client for schools and students. But my boss thinks Blazor is too new and not ready and too experimental, and it would be harder to find new employees. Yeah, that .NET I think core he's is about really hard. Hiring, well, just hiring Blazor people, right? So clearly, Steve-O's getting ready to be fired or quit. I don't know the answer I to that. One or the other. I was wondering if you have some sort of materials or list of customers which would help me convince my boss I've tried, but I'm, and I'm not quite ready to give up the battle yet. I know you're all super busy, but I'd really appreciate the help. Thanks. And he, and he answers, says, thanks, Steph. So maybe he's not Steve-O, but his name is Steve-O. But we won't lie against him. But you've done a bunch of projects, Carl, and I'm sure Scott's seen a ton of them. I've just, uh, we've just shipped or we're just, by now we have just shipped our first uh, in production for a customer Blazor server application. Blazor server turned out to be the right uh, solution for them because they only have a few thousand um, customers and it was easy to scale and easy right. to develop. And yeah. But the scale, so, the, you're not worried about having to deal with millions of users where the load on the back end would be a big deal. No. And even if we were, there are solutions to that. Sure. So yeah, I can't, I can't say enough good things about Blazor. And here, okay. So here is a really good testimonial for Blazor. Um, Mark Rendell was mm -hmm. doing a talk, uh, online and I went and sat in on it. And at the end of it, he said, 
You know, Blazer, here's the thing. I was never on the Blazer bandwagon because it was so new and all that stuff. And it sounded, quite frankly, too good to be true. And now that I've played with it, I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's solid. It's awesome. And a guy like Mark Rendell, who is highly, highly critical of just about yes. everything quite that skeptical. he doesn't write himself. Yeah. <laughs> You know, if a guy like him says this is good stuff and and I would use it, then that's that's a good testimonial. That's pretty cool. Well, there you go, Steve-O. Thank you so much for your comment. And a copy of Music to Go By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Go By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks. So you publish every show there. And if you should comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Go By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. But use Twitter 2.0, not 1.1, because 2.0. We like better. the twos. Twos are better. <laughs> All right. That's a, that's a private joke. Before <laughs> we start, Scott said, what are we talking about? .NET 2? So. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Scott Hunter. He's here. Uh, he's the director of program management on the .NET team at Microsoft. His team builds .NET Framework, .NET Core, ASP.NET, Entity Framework, and the managed languages, a web and .NET tooling. To us, he's Scott. To you, he's Mr. .NET. Scott Hunter. It's going great. All is well. This is coming out during build. Yes, crazy we could build. Uh, exciting we could build. Lots of software, lots of new software. Lots of yeah. new .NET. Yeah. There's more .NET? There's always more .NET, Richard. There's a .NET every November. <laughs> it's, it's, that is true. I, you know, and it's an interesting point you bring up, which is this sort of, if you ship to schedule, then you got kind of slip features if you're going to stick to the schedule. So, which also makes it very challenging to do really big features, like... I'm impressed with what you pulled off with Maui so far, but that's a lot. Like, getting it done by November, like, I'm holding out hope, but boy, oh, boy. Uh, and we haven't you know, really even seen it features yet. features like the Maui stuff is stuff that we actually don't – we started the Maui stuff last year. Right. So, so, so it's a secret that you just – you didn't build it in a year. It's been going on for a while. No, it's been going on for a while. So there's, there's many things. A lot of the language features that we do take, you know, uh, more than a year as well. Yeah. Um, you know, we do, we did, we did, we did announce with .NET 6 that we now ship a, a new C Sharp every year. So, C, you know, C Sharp is now joined the same um, schedule that .NET has. And so C, C, C Sharp 10 will be part of uh, the release in November. Um, but I can tell you that, that the, there's lots of C Sharp features that I would love to go have in the platform already. And the team just tells me they need more time. So, uh, right. It, it takes a bit of time. Um, like we're, you, you can't use all the new C-sharp language features and link today uh, that we've added over the years. And that's because the uh, expression tree tech inside of .NET needs to be updated for those new features. Um, and that's something we'll do in .NET 7 um, is we'll enable all the, uh, the new language things uh, wow. for all the uh, link stuff. And of course um, we're not committed to that. And I just said it on air. So uh um, <laughs> but that said, just committed himself to that. <laughs> that said, Scott, Link is pretty darn powerful right now. I mean, I, um, you do have to. Yeah, there, there's a there's a crazy Link thing. I'll tell you a story about Link that uh, I, I will shock both of you. Okay. So if I asked you a question in .NET data access, ADO.NET, mm -hmm. uh, Stack the Stack Exchange has their their lightweight framework called Dapper. Yep. Um, and we have EF Core. Which of those is the fastest? 
Hmm. How would you how would you stack rank that? Yeah, you I'm kind of think idio.net being sort of the smallest, oldest, it should be stinky fast. Yep. And then after that, which Dapper or EF Core? Oof. EF Core doesn't sound fast, <laughs> right? Because it's so high level. But I'm going to go out on a limb, Mr. Hunter, and say that EF Core is faster than both of those things. Am I right? So, EF Core is going to come in. Uh, so, so, obviously, ADO.net is the lowest level thing, as Richard said. That's, it's going to always be the fastest because you're, you're bare metal. Um, you, don't have, right. you, don't have, you don't even have to make objects if you don't want to. You can just, you know, pass a bunch of text around. Um, but uh, with EF Core in .NET 6, um, it will basically match the performance of Dapper. Wow. Wow, I'm shocked. Um, and so, that, that is uh, – it's literally 70% faster between .NET 5 and .NET 6. That is amazing. Um, 31% faster query performance and 43% uh, reduced memory allocations. Wow. Now, is this re-engineering by the Entity Framework team? Like, what is the responsibility for the speed increase? Just optimizations. So, hmm. the, the teams just worked on making existing features better. Yeah, we got to a point where they were able to go and do a bunch of crazy optimizations on right. EF, EF Core, the same way we've done them on ASP.NET and various other parts of the .NET stack over the year, but... Uh, um, wow. It just means EF Core is is super fast and uh, well. And imagine an upgrade to an existing application that gets a performance boost just by recompiling on the new stack. Hmm. That, that's one of the crazy things that we we started seeing uh, this this last year is uh, we've been seeing a lot of customers that said they would only do LTS releases jump onto .NET five. Interesting. Um, and that there's enough of these types of improvements that uh, they can see. Um, and it pulls them forward to the next version of the framework faster than they expected. Um, and they're like, um, I was on on the phone with some some big banks recently, and they're you know the, you would think of a bank of anybody being somebody that's like, well, I'm going to stay on the on the long term support. Well, LTS at a minimum, like, hey, I 4.8 works for me. Heck, what am I talking about? Mm. 4.1 works for me. <laughs> they're very conservative. The um, reason I use EF is that it's just so easy to use as a developer. And that that I don't have to write all that goo and that, you know, code that I used to. So that's a cool .NET 6 thing that you probably wouldn't expect. Um, yeah. Have, have we cool. ever talked about the upgrade assistant on .NET Rocks? I don't think so. I don't believe so. So I think that's a it's a that's a great part of the story too. Is you know as we think of uh, you know .NET Core and then .NET 5 and then .NET 6 after it. You know, a lot of questions come come to be with like, uh, you know, how, if you have an older application and you want to move it forward, and we, we think now is the time. You know, if you're actually working on applications, you should try, you should think about moving them forward to the new the new bits. Mm -hmm. um, we've obviously got a team inside of Microsoft that helps a lot of our large uh, customers move, including internal customers uh, that run big oh, services. interesting in, big services inside of Azure and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. That are sticking around on the sort of standard version of .NET. They're still sitting at 4.8. Yeah. Um, okay. But they're, but they're moving. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, uh, our team that helps some of these these internal teams move and some of the uh, external customers move, uh, they kind of built their own tool over the years as they've done this, mm -hmm. uh, which we've now made available to everybody. Um, wow. And it's, it's pretty slick. It's a, it's a command line tool. You can run it on a solution. Um, it supports multiple projects. Um, and it, it does a bunch of stuff. It'll it'll upgrade your project file to the right format. Um, it'll go and look at references that you have and make sure that you're referencing the right thing for, you know, .NET 5+. Um, it'll fix NuGet references as well. 
Um, and then it also has the ability to go and, and do a bunch of code fixes. Um, you know, over the years of us, you know, porting some of these applications, you do the same thing over and over and over again. And uh, those are built into the tool. So, yeah, so it will go fix those things for you as well. So it's, I want to be very clear. This is not a tool you're going to run and you have a guaranteed, you know, runnable.NET 5 project out of it. Uh, but it will take a lot of the TDM out of stuff. It backs everything up. Um, so it's easy to, to revert back. Uh, but it's something people should try. And, What's the uh, minimum .NET version that it will support? I think it goes all the way back to the beginning of time. So any any .NET application, Microsoft.NET, .NET Core, whatever, it will upgrade it to .NET 5. It will try to um, help you migrate it to .NET 5. So it's a try convert. It, uh, the, the, the one thing it doesn't really have good support for today is it doesn't have great support for um, ASP.NET Web Forms. Yeah. Um, that is something that we, we are looking at trying to do in the future as well, is adding some more support for that. But it's, it's pretty good for doing MVC, Web APIs, um, desktop applications, WinForms, Win Forms. Forms. Wow. console applications, class libraries. Um, wow. And uh, it'll take a lot of the tedium out of it. You know, we had a, a command line tool called TriConvert. Uh, and this, this tool actually uses TriConvert to do the project hmm. files hmm. Uh, that we did for project files last year. Um, and this kind of takes it to the next step where it can do more than just one project file. It can do a whole solution. Um, and so, you know, if you're out there and, and you've not tried .NET 5 uh, and you want to try moving one of your applications, it's uh, aka.ms slash .NET dash upgrade dash assistant. Nice. Uh, that will take you to the page. It's, it's in beta. Um, and we plan to RTM it uh, with .NET 6 in November. So I could take a WinForms app from like the from Studio 2010 and take it over to the new form of WinForms. Like you and I talked about this ages ago about you you couldn't do a pixel perfect conversion from the old style WinForms to the new WinForms that was able to tolerate high DPI screens and so forth. But this is not doing a conversion. This is a migration. It's a migration. Um, yeah. So you, you got to go do some checking, right? Like things are going to be different. And we've taken a bunch of old apps. We took uh, Scott Hanselman's Baby Smash, the uh, WPF <laughs> app. We took that one. It takes you, after you run this tool, it takes about three or four minutes to fix whatever's left. You just have to compile right. You just have to comment stuff out until it compiles. Um, we have a cool demo that we show at Build called, uh, it's called Boyds. And it's, uh, it's, we're showing one of my favorite .NET 6 features, uh, and it's Hot Reload. And it, it's a graphical program that, that draws a bunch. It's like the game of life in yeah. .NET. And it was like a six, seven-year-old uh, .NET project. It just converted completely. Wow. Um, and uh, it's one of the demos that we used. And uh, But we're trying to help everybody, and that's why those tools exist. You're also doing a try-convert for Xamarin Forms to MAUI conversion for .NET 6. I know it's a little premature to talk about that, but... Um, you must know a little bit more about that since the last time we talked to somebody at Microsoft about it. Yeah, this this is the tool that we'll put that support into. So we'll we'll have hmm. the Xamarin team put some of the the support in uh, to the upgrade assistant tool, so you can wow. do, run the upgrade assistant on an existing Xamarin Forms project, which obviously is going to use the old project files and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and this will try to clean up as much stuff as you as we can. Obviously, in this case, because we changed namespaces. Uh, the big thing you want this tool to do is to go through all your files and fix all your namespaces because um, that'll make it the easiest to, to migrate your stuff. Plus all those custom converters and things that you guys are leaving Xamarin behind in Xamarin forums. 
those need to be totally rewritten, right? So I can imagine like somebody who's got uh, third-party tools or a community-based Xamarin Forms tool wants to convert their stuff to be a MAUI tool, a MAUI component, um, and they've got shaders and stuff like this all. That's got a that's a tall order, man. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking I'm putting my enterprise architect hat on, right? Where I've got where I've got a group of .NET devs that I may have had, you know, come and go over the past 20 years. I have this body of internal applications. The idea that I could take a couple of keeners, you know, who are terrified at the prospect of trying to maintain those old, old applications, go take this upgrade assistant and start doing a survey. Just take, you know, let's give an order to the most sort of most important apps that, that we think would really benefit from upgrade and work our way down the list and see if we got any low hanging fruit. What just comes across, you know, and what, what needs an hour's worth of work and what get, and what goes, Oh, wait a second. <laughs> like, yeah. You're going to have to think <laughs> about this one, right? Maybe we'll shuffle that one over to the power platform guys, but uh-huh. you know, but what if, you know, and I've worked with organizations where literally a thousand old apps, yep. you know, in, in various states of disrepair to, to have a couple of folks spend a, a week working down that list and see how many just come across onto the new platform and all those security risks go away. All of that maintainability stuff goes away. Like that could be a huge win. Well, to, to me, the big one is it's not, it's not tied to the .NET on the machine anymore, which means no longer are you, are you taking a risk of a patch Tuesday mm-hmm. breaking your application? To me, that's, that's, you know, that's always been one of the premises of .NET core and then .NET 5 plus afterwards was, disconnecting you from the operating system so you right. control your own destiny. And so uh, then you go to your bosses and say, hey, I want to use all the newest features. And guess what? We don't have to put anything on the machines to do that. Yeah. Um, doesn't break it, anything. And whatever break. doesn't come over, you rewrite and react because it's stable. <laughs> I always go Power Platform. I thought Power Platform was funnier, but okay. Uh, that's a call back to the, to the comment, my friends. There you go. Yes. <laughs> 24 minutes of comedy right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, a really powerful thing to think in terms of. It's just like, I, if you, you know, you're an organization who's just not interested in running the latest and greatest because they, because they don't see the benefit. Yeah. To reduce the cost. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a new reason to, to think about it as well, which is, um, it's, it's kind of my, my, it'd be my favorite feature. There's two, I have two favorite features. One is the unification of the platform in .NET 6. But the other one, you know, at, at the end of .NET 5, you know, we were asking ourselves, well, what are we good at? And we're good at perf. Um, we're good at cross-platform. Yeah. Um, where, do we, where do we really not do well against our competitors? And, you know, in, in many cases, as, as Carl said a few times, things like React, some JavaScript stuff is kind of one of our competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's the, what's the day in the life of building a React app versus building a .NET app? And the, the big thing that comes to mind to me, especially as you talk about Blazor, I know Carl's done a lot of Blazor work. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, make a change in your Blazor app and see how long it takes to refresh your screen uh, to see that, you know, you know, happen in your application. Uh, it takes way, way too long. Um, I, was, I was doing a demo before build. It was in the .NET 6 preview 3 bits where I literally can show that uh, you make a change in the Blazor app and it takes five to six seconds to see the, the, the actual refresh on the screen. With the tech we're doing in .NET 6, it takes one-tenth of a second. That's great. Amazing. And so it's instantaneous. Um, and and uh, it's, it's kind of an evolution of that it can continue. Yeah. 
but it goes it goes further. It's also using some of the tech that Hot Reload that the Xamarin folks had built into some of their tech, and it uses kind of a mix of all that stuff. Uh, and uh, we got it got it dialed in before build to such a point that you don't have to save your code anymore. You can basically wow. push a button, uh, and we can apply the change to your running application before you even uh, you know save the file. Now I will caveat. You know, obviously, you can't change everything. If you, yeah, if you change something that ripples through the entire application, this is not going to happen. But I know in the case of I'm looking at Carl here, uh, even though nobody else can see him, and and uh, you know, you're you're just trying to adjust some UI, right? Yeah. Um, you know, That's you're really not changing the world. You're you're that, just yeah. tweaking some pixels or changing some colors or moving some styles or stuff like that. You're not just moving a typo, like all of these little things. Yeah. That uh, I don't want to recompile for, and they're instantaneous in, in .NET 6. So I, it, to me, it closes the biggest gap we have. We call this inside of Microsoft, we call this the process of writing some code, running it, uh, looking at the results, changing it again. We call that inner loop. Yeah, you know, how long right. does it take to do that inner loop circle? Um, and the goal in .NET 6 is to get that inner loop circle below one second. And, and I can tell you the, the tech that I've seen so far, it is well below one second. Um, yeah, and it looks the good. cool thing is it works everywhere. It works on ASP.NET. It works on WinForms. It works on WPF. It works on Xamarin, which is now .NET MAUI. Um, but no matter no matter what type of app you've got, this tech's going to work. And you know, imagine you're the customer on .NET Framework 4.8, and you're maintaining your application, and it takes you six seconds every time you make a change. Well, move it to .NET 6. It'll take you know less than one second per change, and wow. count the number of six seconds you do a day. And uh, see what you're going to save your boss. Hey, used to be an excuse to go refresh my coffee, but yeah, it's getting a time. getting faster and faster and faster. Um, one question out of the blue for you: Is there uh, are you guys thinking about SEO with Blazor? I mean, it's very hard with any kind of dynamically generated UI to uh, get the attention of the Googles and the Bings, but. Is there anything that we that that is happening on that front? I don't think we have anything that I'm aware of that we're doing in 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 six o for that. Uh, that is an area we have talked about in the past, um, and there are techniques for doing that. Yeah, there are. Um, we just haven't got to that in 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 uh, Blazor for .NET six. If you if I run through some of the big Blazor things in .NET six, and, okay. and some of them are, are pretty dang cool, um, and and you'll appreciate this, Carl, for sure is now we have uh, support of uh, ahead of time compile for Blazor. Yeah. For folks that don't know that, Blazor, for the most part, there is a .NET interpreter that's running in the browser under WebAssembly, and it's interpreting the IL for the, the WebAssembly, or the .NET, and, and running it. Now you can decide and tell us what parts of the app you want to make native. So if you're doing, you know, math or some kind of fast transition in the, in the web, you know, in the, in the browser that you want to do, you can mark those parts of code as areas that we want to AOT ahead of time compile for you. We don't do the whole thing because it would make the app uh, bigger. Uh, so we won't, don't want to do that. Um, another cool thing in, in Blazor and 6 is uh, uh, smaller download size. So if you're doing the WebAssembly tech, uh, you'll see smaller sizes you know, across the board. Yeah. Um, Very cool significant. That, that, uh, uh, I, I can't tell you why we're doing it, but uh, it's still cool. Um, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of tech at Microsoft called Fluent UI. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of one of the web frameworks or one of the UI frameworks that, that a lot of the Microsoft products are built with, built with. Um, and we're going to make sure that you have access to the Fluent UI tech from Blazor. Um, so if you want to make a fluent looking application, 
uh, you'll be able to do that inside of Blazor. But then now that's more than just fonts and uh, you know, it's it's actually icons. controls. It, 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 at the end of the day, it ends up being some controls are in there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I grabbed the link to it for the show notes here, and and right away it's like, hey, web, Windows, iOS, Android, Mac OS, like this is not just a Windows tool either. Yeah. So it's it's that that's a that's a cool thing that kind of came in from a, a side project we're doing, but to me the the coolest feature that we we've, we've done in in uh, in Dynamics six for Blazor is going to be desktop support. Yes, um, meaning that you can basically build a Blazor desktop application. So you know if you know we're all aware of uh, Electron. You know if yeah. you run VS Code, if you run Spotify, Dropbox. I mean you know Slack. Who knows how many other you know, electron apps are out there? These are web apps that that appear to be desktop apps. Mm-hmm. Um, th- you know, we want to give you that feature for for Blazor, and so you can now take your Blazor app, wrap it up as a Mac app or a, or a Windows app, and you know, you might ask, well, why? Well, if you're a web app, you only have access to whatever the web sandbox gives you access to. Right. If you're a desktop app, you have access to everything uh, on the machine. That's both that's pros and cons, but if you're building internal apps, you know, act that access probably is fine. Um, so it gives you the ability to build web apps that, that work well across, um, you know, multiple devices uh, that have full access to the, to the platform. And so one of the cool demos that we did at Build is we had a Blazor desktop application and it showed up as a, with a tray icon on a Windows machine. Um, if you right clicked on its icon, you got, you got the right click menu uh, in, the, in the taskbar. Um, and it had the ability to send notifications to the notification center in Windows 10. Um, and so not only can you build these web apps, um, you can give them platform light up. Um, and it's pretty crazy because we built a Maui version of it as well. Yeah. And if I showed you both the apps side by side, you couldn't tell the difference. Wow. Um, so these are, cool. this is the Blazor WebView thing that came out in preview three, right? What it, what it is, is it's a Maui app, a .NET yeah. Maui app that mm-hmm. hosts a new control. It's a Blazor control. So we, we basically add a, uh, a Blazor web view to the XAML. Um, and so you basically make, build a Maui app with just the Blazor web view inside of it. And from that, you host your Blazor app in there. You can put native controls in as well if you wanted to, if you want to put native controls on top or below it. Okay. So it's not an embedded browser, which is what the approach that we've taken with Windows Forms and VB before that, taking like a Back version of IE and plunking it in there. It's not that, right? It's it. We give you the APIs. If you wanted to do something like that, you could. So we give you the hosting okay. API. If you want to go build a native host or, or, or a super slim host that didn't bring the Maui runtime with it, you could do that as well. Um, so we put the hooks in for that. But we're, we're primarily focusing on um, some of those electron scenarios, which yeah, is yeah. for us with Windows and Mac to start with. Right. Um, there's no reason we can't bring it to Android and iOS as well. I'm trying to figure out if you run if you're running WebAssembly in there, or you don't need to. You're just running .NET Framework. No, we don't run WebAssembly. We, you don't need to. There's no no reason to run WebAssembly because the, the the Blazor desktop server or the Blazor server is in process yeah. with the app, and so right. it's actually a Blazor server app with the actual back end of the app in process. <laughs> so it's blazingly fast. <laughs> wow. Um, and it has full access to whatever you want to give it give it access to. So it's uh, nice. if you watch the build demos, you'll see apps yeah. that do all this native light up. You've really followed the Silverlight path, right? You find now it's Silverlight out of the browser. It's just this Blazor out of the browser. Yeah. But it, the difference is, it's awesome. 
<laughs> that is the difference. Hey, gentlemen, I need to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that it not only tells you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month. Hey, Carl here. You know, when you're starting up in the tech world, having all your options open makes a big difference. So why let a cloud partner limit how you can grow? Oracle for Startups provides stable, scalable cloud infrastructure with multi-cloud flexibility, so you can build your technology any way you choose. And at 70% off for two years, there's nothing holding you back. Grow your way with cloud that won't lock you in. Check it out at www.oracle.com slash go to slash netrocks. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey. Hey, we're talking to our friend Scott Hunter about .NET 2. <laughs> Actually, it is .NET 2 in some ways. If, in if some ways. the first wave of .NET, and then this is the second. Yeah. Because well, .NET 5, in some ways, was the new, the new .NET 1. Yes. You know, we really, mm. the unification, everybody together, there's one .NET. Although it wasn't feature complete. Like if there were certain folks in certain places in 4.8 where it was going to be tough to move to five. I think it seems to me that six is going to be even easier. It is, but we're not, we're not bringing, bringing any of the old stuff back no. anymore. So um, we, what we made it to five is what's going to make it web forms, not coming WCF, not coming. Right. Like that's reality. There, there is an open source uh, WCF that is out there. Well, they're trying. Um, and, and, and we, you know, people at Microsoft work on it and maintain mm -hmm. it. You know, once again, I can't tell you where we use it at, but we use that thing inside of Microsoft for some some big services that run behind the cloud. Oh, interesting. So I have one more question, and that is the Blazor WebView. Is that different from the tech that will allow us to build native Maui apps with the Blazor um, uh, with the Blazor syntax rather than using uh, XAML? For UI, which I guess is like the upgraded version of the uh, Blazor mobile bindings, right? Yeah. So, so the the, the tech in Blazor desktop is still XAML based. Um, okay. The tech you're talking about, where you can actually build the UI in C sharp. Yeah. Uh, there's a project uh, that James James Clancy, and my team, works on called Comet, um, and that's where you can go find some of that syntax. That's something that we would love to bring into .NET Maui in the future. Yeah, I don't mean that. I mean, I mean, uh, I mean using the HTML and the Blazor. Oh, uh, yeah, I, UI. Yeah, 
yeah, model. Yeah, I, I don't know. So we, we don't know what to do with that right now. So we oh. don't like, like uh, there's Comet, which lets you build all your UI in, in C Sharp. C Sharp, yeah. Then there's uh, the mobile bindings, which lets you build all your content in, you know, H in Blazor syntax. Right. Um, and it's going to, it's going to end up being people voting with their feet uh, okay. to figure out where we go with that. Cause I don't know which one, what I don't want to do is say, Hey, we have Blazor or we have yeah. Maui and you can do it in web. Right, you can do right, it in right. C sharp. You can do yeah. it in XAML. I know. And we know that every time we offer too many choices, it yeah. confuses yeah. people. And so, okay. um, you know, I, I have to offer XAML, uh, for compatibility with the past. Right. Um, but I have to decide, uh, or we as a team have to decide which of the other ones is the right one to bring forward. And I don't yeah. think we know at this point. Okay. Um, part Good. of the team loves the C sharp one. Part of the team loves the uh, web one. Um, I don't know. Or okay. maybe we make, make them as, you know, never actually in the box, but they're just, they're just, you know, supported packages that, you know, can light up a different experience. You can go get. So that I, yeah. I at least have one more blazer train to make comparing all those things when .NET 6 comes out. So go ahead yep. <laughs> with the next <laughs> thing. <laughs> Other announcements from build. Yeah. So, so we've talked about, you know, the, the inner loop. Uh, we've talked about Blazor desktop. Well, I think we have to talk about Maui. Yes. Um, you know, cause, cause to me it's, it's the, uh, end of a unification journey that we started a long time ago. You know, we acquired mm-hmm. Xamarin, I think in 2016, uh, did. if I, if I'm correct. Um, correct. And so it's, we're five years into the, that, that story. And we've always wanted to make the Xamarin Tech, you know, feel like it's a really first-class citizen in .NET. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so .NET Maui is basically the next evolution of Xamarin Forms. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, you know, uses the same project system that we have uh, for all of the other .NET 5, 6 projects. Um, it now uses the same BCL. So it uses the same, you know, in, in .NET 5, we made Blazor WebAssembly use uh, the .NET Core BCL. And with this wave, uh, the Maui Tech will use the same BCL. Um, and so it is really unified because it's yeah. the same project system. It's using the same BCL. Uh, it's an evolution of the Xamarin Forms Tech. Um, I'm very happy about it. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to do some, some other things there as well. You know, anybody that's built a Xamarin project today knows you end up with a solution with a whole bunch of CS projects inside of it, one for each of the platforms. Um, you're, we're trying to collapse all that into a single project. So you write just one app in one self-contained space for all the platforms. Uh, you're going to see in, 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 at the build time frame, we haven't got all the way there. We've got most, we have everything, but when you, I, um, into that, into that mode. And our hope is before we actually get to November and RTM, we can actually collapse it all the way down. Mm, but that's nice. that is something we should also talk about. That's, this is something new about .NET Maui. Xamarin really only was supported on iOS and Android. Yeah. Um, .NET Maui is supported on iOS, Android, Mac, and Windows. Right. Um, so we support awesome. all the platforms, and uh, um, which is a, a nice thing. And and and, it, it, and I think it's a big part of the platform. Really, you can yeah, write an huge. app once, and it runs everywhere. And it uses you know whatever the tech is the is the best tech on the platform. So if you're running on Windows. It's actually going to be a WinUI app using that's, that's the, the Windows team's newest UI library. Interesting. It's going to be using what's called Project Reunion. I, I know they have a new name for that, but I don't think they've announced it yet, so I'm not going to not going to go there. And Project Reunion is a, is a way to build a Windows app that uses all the new APIs but works on down level versions of Windows 10. Um, and so it'll be able to use what you know if you want to use the newest Bluetooth stack, you can use it on 
current Windows 10, and it goes all the way back to the old, the old Windows 10s. And so that's a uh, .NET Maui is a is a is a big piece of of the build announcements. And the final uh, big piece of the Windows announcement, something we've been calling uh, ASP.NET minimal APIs. Um, and you know, you folks have been around for a long time, and 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 you know kind of our journey. You know, we we built this amazing controller based uh, way of building APIs in .NET that's that's been matured over many, many years. I think we shipped the first version of that around 2012. So it's eight, nine years old now. Um, but when you start looking at our tech and you compare it to like uh, Express on Node, we look way more complicated. Right. More ceremony. We, we want to make sure that there is a path for simple APIs and a path to upgrade those to, to full controller-based APIs. And so uh, we've actually put a whole bunch of features in C Sharp to make this awesome. So there's a you know, what's the first thing you see in a .NET project? You see the, um, you know, the program class and you see um, a main method. Well, in C Sharp 9, we got rid of those with top level programs. You don't have to have those anymore. But then the next thing you see is a wall of usings. Um, yeah. And so we have a new feature in C Sharp 10 called global usings, um, wow. which lets you get rid of that. Like underscore um, imports and, razor in Blazor. Um, yep. Place to put all your using statements. Um, true. Uh <clears throat> for the same reason. Yeah. Um, and so you literally can build a, a ASP.NET core web API in three lines of code now. Mm. Um, you can build, one of the demos I did at Build was I took a, uh, it was a weather API that we had built a long time ago and we had a Node Express version of it. We had a controller-based version of it and we had a, a minimal API version of it. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we've done a, you, built a lot of C-Sharp features to get rid of a bunch of casting and stuff like that uh, to make beautiful small APIs in .NET that are very performant. Um, and, you know, once again, you can always add all the tech back, um, you know, but if you're just building two APIs in an app, you probably want to use this tech. If you're building a thousand APIs, you should probably use the controller app, the technology. But that's that's another piece of build as well is it's the continuing simplification of C-Sharp or, or .NET programs with new C-sharp language features uh, to get, you know, right to your code, less ceremony. Um, but minimal APIs is, is, a, is a big thing. Blazor Desktop, .NET MAUI, Interloop, those are the, the big staples uh, of the release. Uh, hey, Scott, our friend Steve Smith, has an open source project. I think we talked about on the show last year about sort of minimal web API endpoints. Is this adjacent to that or somehow involved in that? I don't know. Um, he, maybe was it his project or was he using endpoint routing, which is something that we did show in .NET 5. Is we did show, Yeah, we did, maybe he might have been using endpoint routing. But um, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's just interesting to see. The, the, the name was so coincidental. It's like, didn't we do this? Because it is, we are looking at often these libraries when they were initially built, there was many options added that, that didn't really get used. And so I, I like this sort of movement towards sort of minimal stripping away of, of ceremony and yeah. making all that stuff lighter. It's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a big thing that we see. We just see, you know, it's like, I hate it when somebody goes and compares .NET to, you know, Express and they go, well, right. you, you just look so, so much more complicated. Um, yeah. And I'm like, no, it's just we just give you, you know, we 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 kind of came the other way around. We came from mega APIs, um, right? And didn't think about 
how do you write small.net apps? And, and now we're yeah. going to show both sides of this and show that you can be very successful writing small.net apps and you can be very successful writing huge.net apps. That's mm-hmm. the cool part of the platform is we support, you know, the entire spectrum uh, back and forth. Well, and when ASP.NET Web API came along, like it was touted as this is the lightweight choice compared to WCF and like all of these other strategies. Mm. Now we're looking and going, wow, that's a lot of ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> the, the circles that we go in, in uh, uh, computer science are just funny. How we, how we, yeah. Because um, right. we all, you're right. I remember we, we, we had a whole team called the Simplicity Team back then. And we thought we had really simplified everything down. Uh, with, with, you know, ASP.NET Web API, it was so much cleaner and easier to write than WCF. And then you look at this and you're like, wow, you simplified it again. Um, yeah. Turns out it could be even simpler. But there's, there's, but I do want to be clear. This is not a replacement for ASP.NET, uh, core Web API. That is still a mm-hmm. super important piece of technology and it has its place. And, yeah. uh, it depends on what you're building. Um, you're building a to do app, not very complicated. This is great tech. You're building a single API, great tech. Um, and then there's a ton of other, you know, crazy things inside of, of, of .NET 6 as well. Some of the, you know, like we have support for the, uh, um, we have, well, first, we have support for ARM across the board on Windows. So you can build WinForms and WPF apps in ARM. Right. So full ARM 64 support uh, in Windows. We've added ARM support for the Macs as well. So you can do M1 chip uh, on the Mac. Uh, other crazy small things. We have uh, single exes. This is something I, I so mm. wanted us to get in .NET 5, but it slipped yeah. at the last minute. It was uh, um, you know, single exes where we basically take your app and all the parts of .NET you use and make them into a single executable. So you don't require reasonable size another execu- reasonable size. Well, even more reasonable in .NET 6 because we now compress the executable, um, which means you, know, you can get a WinForm app in like uh, 25 meg. Wow. Yeah. So... Uh, in the um, earliest days of .NET, I remember, you know, having to tell our customers to go out and download the .NET framework or whatever and figuring out how to bootstrap it and then it would download and stuff. And it just seemed like a, a good idea to just put the .NET framework right in the installation of Windows and why didn't you guys do that? And then I, I sort of learned how Microsoft works on the inside and, you know, the Windows team and the .NET team not necessarily having lunch together all the time. So, so it's really nice to be able to just package everything up. And I'm talking about the old days, right? It's a new Microsoft now. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's pros and cons each way. I mean, it's, it was, you know, Windows itself depends on the .NET framework. And so the .NET framework became a part of Windows because, you know, a lot of the tech that you use inside of Windows, if you're using the IS manager, there many of those tools are all built on .NET. And so, um, it makes sense that we then put .NET in, in the operating system, but yeah. you know, there is a cost for having .NET in uh, an operating system that's on billions of machines. No, um, yeah, sure, <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> Which we well, learned. And I remember. I mean, was it two thousand? It was two thousand six. We did a show about Salamander. Yeah, that's right. Right, and it and it not only it was an obfuscator back when we cared about that. Well, that was one of their, but products. it also had this compiler. It was a right, linker. that it would compile you into an exe. But because you took the whole framework with you, like the app wasn't small. Yep, it was huge. In fact, yeah, and that you know that, that's our goal. Our our, our long term goal is to is is to get to a point where you know every every version. Our we have a linker uh, for folks that don't know what the linker is. That's a that's a if you drill into the publish settings on any any app in .NET, you can actually get to a place where you can click and say, trim out the parts of .NET that you don't use. 
Um, and every release that gets a little better. It's on um, by default, isn't it? It's not on by default. No, I don't. Wow. I don't think it's on by default. Okay. Um, but every release we make that tech better and better. Um, you know, we have ways of now annotating.net to tell it when something is linker friendly or not linker friendly. Mm. Um, you know, ASP.net has got core has gotten way more linker friendly over the the last couple of releases, and so that is a long term goal too, is to let you build really small single executables for .NET as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's a journey, and we know it will take us. You know you know, versions and versions to get there. We just take a piece each time. Yep. Right. But I do like this idea that, you know, you can make new versions without adding a lot of new features. Just make stuff go faster too, right? Yeah. Like that optimization is a worthwhile benefit. And at the same time, get folks onto the new bits and the current security models. And, you know, the, the, there's a very compelling argument to say, hey, your existing apps will be faster. As I said, we see big customers seeing this and picking up new versions faster and faster. I mean, you, you felt right. really aware that you know people stayed on old versions of .NET Framework forever and forever. And I'm glad that we're adding enough value that people see a reason to move. And we also want to make it easier and easier to move. That, that was one of the other tenets of .NET 6 that we don't really talk about a lot mm. was, you know, it should not take you more than 10 minutes to move a .NET 5 app to a .NET 6 app. Yeah. Hmm. Um, we still want to have the ability to break things if we need to. Um, but we are trying hard to make it as easy as possible to migrate from version to version because we want all of our customers to be on the latest release. Um, that helps us and it helps the platform and it hopefully it helps the customers. You guys are doing some work also to move towards supporting HTTP3, right? Yep. So HTTP3 support um, will likely be in .NET 6, but I need to be very clear about that. HTTP3 is not a, a ratified spec yeah, at this it's point. it's a moving target. So it's a moving target. But, but the reason that we're actually even experimenting with it and having it available as, as a preview um, is because we want to show our customers that we are looking at the latest standards and making sure that .NET, if you're, if you're using .NET, you don't have to wait two years to be on HTTP3. When right. HTTP3 ships and, and it ratifies, we want to be there very fast. Yep. Well, to be fair to HTTP2... <laughs> like the second version of anything is really, really hard. Right? There was a lot of battle. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that you guys were slow to adopt it. It wasn't ready for adoption either. <laughs> there were problems. True. But, you know, three going one to two is harder than going two to three. Um, two, you know, there's still parts of Azure that don't support full HTTP2 at this point. And so there's, mm -hmm. there's challenges there. And obviously, uh, you know, gRPC, which is built into, into, you know, .NET, five and six and, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, it depends on HTTP2. It's the best right. protocol that it uses for some of its stuff. And so, um, you know, that makes, that makes sure that we're actually testing and, and, and working on those, all those, all the crazy features of HTTP2 to make. Well, and power, part of that was the internet itself had changed. The nature of computers and browsers had changed. Like the, the attitude of only maintain two additional connections to a website to bring down uh, resources was just a silly metric at that point. I mean, it made, it made sense in the nineties when the HTTP one spec was written. We were on dial up connections, but in the era of gigabit broadband, like this is silly. And I just wonder, you know, other things in HTTP three are going to come up like that. It's like, this is an architecture based on things that are different now. Yeah. I was going to say mobile changed a bunch of that. Um, and you said faster internet changed a bunch of that. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, it's, there's a, there's a cost for making connections. 
And so, you know, being able to do more with a single connection is a powerful, powerful feature. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I pulled up the Tech Empower benchmarks and it's, and there's, uh, you know, .NET Core in the running. It's not number one, but it's up there. Yeah. Well, you know, we, what, what we'd say is go find me the first well-known Java framework. Go find me the first well-known, like find Java servlets. Um, we like to think that we're the, the, you know, full stack. We're probably the, the only full stack that's in the tops of most of those benchmarks. And, and you already right. heard, uh, we'll go up on the, on the data benchmark, the fortunes benchmark in, uh, .NET 6. Yeah. Um, and so we still think that we own the full stack aspect of this. If you're real, if you're, you know, a lot of the things you see in tech empower are people that built crazy frameworks to, to be, you know, be to get to the top of the list. Yeah. But, you know, you know and the two guys who know how to use it think it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I write all my APIs in C++. That's my. Uh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, and you're, you're talking about the number ones and yeah, it's a lot of C++. You know, that's, that's is that an efficient way to work? I don't know. You'll see some Go and Rust up there, too. So, I mean, those are those, yep. are, those are great frameworks. But uh, yeah, they are. For us, it's just being in the top chunk of that every time um, and making our, you know, and by the way. It is a competition and all those frameworks are fighting, you know, version to version of tech and power to get faster and faster and faster, which is great for, I think, all of our customers because it means all the sure. frameworks are getting better and better over time. Right. It does make you, it is a way to keep performance tuning on the work list. Yeah. So that some of every release addresses that. Yeah. The, the, like the EF core team runs the data benchmark in their lab at, at work. We have the same hardware that tech and power themselves use. You know, we call those folks up and say, what hardware, hardware do you have? We built our own lab. Um, and so we actually can see day to day if we make a change that hurts us. Um, right. And then we ask, well, why did it hurt us? Do we care? Yeah. Um, is, it, is it providing more value than its cost? Right. Like we, we found some. When we were, we were working on the, the JSON benchmark in .NET 5, and we could have tuned ourselves to go faster, but it would have hurt other things. Right. So, That's yeah, an interesting I problem. I think that general purpose thing that, uh, you know, you're not over-optimized for one, yeah. know, one test. Yeah. Most of your customers aren't focused on the tech and power benchmarks. That's not how they make decisions. Exactly. But breaking their code because you did stuff to appeal to the benchmark, that's not funny at all. No. Nobody's going to be happy about that. Or slowing down their their tech, uh, their, their, yeah. their, their app to make one of these benchmarks faster is, is also yeah. something you don't want to get. That's into. not a good choice. Yeah. That's not. Take care of the customer first. The benchmarks can wait. Well, dude, congrats. Yeah. Congrats. Awesome. You know, awesome few months since .NET 5 to have all this to talk about in the build time frame. And we'll just have to get back together in November and talk about .NET 7, right? Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, we've got we've got uh, Vegas in the beginning of December there. I think we'll be able to talk about the release of 6 and being out in the world and what comes next because apparently you're going to keep making these things. We're going to keep making these things. We're going to keep <laughs> making this better. I think we, we, we're on to something here. Yeah. <laughs> this might catch on. <laughs> might catch on. <laughs> <laughs> might just catch on. I'm just saying. Oh, man. Scott, thanks very much. Is there anything else that we forgot to talk about that we can drop in here at the last minute? There's so much that I think I think that we've hit the big points, and I I, uh, okay. I I don't think we drop anything else in. So All right. Well, I'll make sure there's links to the build videos as they come up so that we can make it there. 
for, for Build, we did uh, a long version and a short version. Build is actually a, a 30 minute session, but we did an hour and a half as well. So if you want to see all the new C-Sharp 10 features, you want to see some of the ML.net that runs on ARM. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Scott. Thanks. It's been great. And uh, we'll see you soon, I'm sure. And uh, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.